We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 135. Our guest today is a real estate broker that specializes with equestrian properties in Wellington, Florida. He does a lot within the equestrian community. He even dabbles in a little riding himself. And he also is the founder of Bit Realty, which is a tech forward real estate brokerage. You also may have seen him for my Bachelor Nation fans. He was a contestant on the 11th season of The Bachelorette and the third season of Bachelor in Paradise. So don't worry. I ask him about that too. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Ryan Beckett. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I know you have a busy schedule right now, so I appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm honored that you would ask me to be on. So I would love to hear because I feel like it's a little unique how you found yourself in this world, but tell me how you first got into the equestrian industry. Yeah, so it's it's a funny story. I grew up in Boca Raton, and if you have listeners that aren't super familiar with the South Florida area, it's about 30 minutes from Wellington, the winter horse show capital of the world. Yeah. And growing up, I had some friends I went to school with from Wellington. I used to make fun of them because I was at the beach every day and they were out <laughs> in the suburbs. And little did I know, post-college, I would start my real estate career there and uh, really get involved into the equestrian real estate um, industry. And I did that because my lacrosse coach in college was doing a real estate project there. And he recommended me to the Palm Beach Polo Club in their sales office to help with the project. So I figured it would be a short-term thing. The real estate market was really good. I was 23 and I started working there. And I'm an animal lover. Part of sales is I had to meet people, network. It's a very close-knit world. It's a very competitive real estate industry because there's a lot of high price point properties and the people, the clients are in town only for a short period of time usually for the winter. So I had to really cut my teeth on the industry and learn the business. And I started meeting a lot of horse show friends. And at one point I was dating an amateur. I was a horse show boyfriend. Then I dated a professional. I started riding. My friends were like, Ryan, if you're going to sell horse farms, we got to get you on a horse. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let's do it. I I make an analogy. It's like going to Aspen and selling ski and ski outs and not skiing. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I went full in. I loved it. Um, Some of my best friends are are now horse people. And uh, even though I used to make fun fun of Wellington as a as a kid growing up, I became obsessed with this like little world that we call Welly World. Yeah. And uh, 15 years later, I'm still doing real estate, still in the industry, and uh, it's been a great run. Amazing. What was your obviously because you got into the equestrian industry? Later in the game, what was your kind of like first interpretation of this bubble? So the bubble was unique because I have friends that grew up riding and I was humbled because I think in the beginning, I didn't know what I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is I had clients when I first started getting successful in the business, like Debbie Stevens, for example, Uh and and other very well-known riders. I started getting lessons from Rob Coluccio, who was just 
making his comeback and I was getting ready. I was going to the barn and being able to flat horses that were, you know, hack winners at WEF. Right. And I don't think I fully candidly appreciated it until some of my friends gave me a tough time. They're like, Ryan, I grew up like idolizing these people and you just walk in and you have (laughs) the ability to have all this access and whatever. You need to really appreciate that. And it took a little time, but I was glad that message was sent to me because I had such a great respect for the people that were around me. And I'm a big animal lover. I've been plant-based for a long time. I get involved with a lot of animal rescues. And I was like, man, it's so great that most of the people here are really through and through animal lovers. And I like that in WEF, it was kind of a blue blood demographic. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of wealth to be sure, not always as a rule, but I felt people were pretty grounded. I think when you grow up mucking stalls, it doesn't matter what kind of family you come from, it tends to ground you a little bit. Right. And I really appreciated that and grew to really adore the demographic and that industry. So cool. So as you were kind of getting more and more involved in the community, at that point in time, were you working in the general real estate area or had you already been you know, selling different or having clients that were selling horse properties or how did that kind of work within your transition of your job? Yeah, it's a great question. So I started out slanging condos and it was new construction sales. And then I was kind of more exclusively into Palm Beach Polo Club, which is all for the most part residences. And I had some close friends of mine that would buy horse farms and big numbers in terms of like the commission and the price point. I was like, man, you and I are best friends. Why would you buy it for me? And they're like, well, we thought you only did the polo club. Ah. Like the name of my company was Palm Beach Polo Realty. And I was like, man, I want to branch out in the farms. And I wanted to do that for two reasons. One, obviously the price points are generally higher. So Mm -hmm. of course it's more lucrative as a business perspective. But for me, psychologically, I, I found it more stimulating because, mm. you know, a house, a lot of the houses and condos kind of blend together. When I go show a farm, there was so much nuance to it, meaning like, what kind of ring is it? Does it have a cover? I had to learn about the tack room and the different kinds of stall fronts and all of those. Right. And I kind of got a little bored with the condos. It felt a little vanilla. And when I got into the farms, it was a win-win because business-wise it was better. And you get to go to these farms and see these gorgeous horses. You get to pet a horse, you get to Mm -hmm. see a lesson. And I just kind of settled into, this is way more fun, quite honestly, in terms of focusing on that. So that was kind of the transition into that. Cool. And yeah, you were kind of alluding to the different knowledge base that you needed kind of making that transition. What did that kind of look like from a business standpoint? I mean, I feel like some of the realtor friends that I have, it always kind of takes a minute to really develop yourself within a new area of the industry that you're working in. Did you find that transition pretty seamless? I mean, you probably had somewhat similar of a client base from going just to like the polo club and and residents to horse farms. What did that kind of look like? Yeah. So, you know, there's the old cliche, fake it till you make it. And yeah. I think there's some truth to that, but I found in sales, it was a little bit of the opposite. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is a lot of my friends knew who I was. They knew my story. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first went out to dinner with friends, you know, at in Wellington, usually all they're talking about is horses. That's it. And I 
liken it to like going to Spain to learn Spanish. I just got immersed right. in the who the who's who, the jargon and all that. When I first heard, oh, that horse is real scopey, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, a year or two later, kind of like learning Spanish, I had picked up a lot of this language, a lot of this knowledge. And some of my friends that were trying to teach me, they were like, wait, I just realized that we were talking to you about this horse. Like, how'd you learn all of that? Right. I was like, I enjoy learning and I enjoy just having new knowledge. And I found that in the beginning, I was just honest. I said, listen, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out the answer to that. Mm -hmm. And I would go to the seller, my client and find out. And that's how I learned. Because I think if I just tried to make up answers, like some people, unfortunately, in sales do, I'm a bad liar, come off disingenuous. So I just say, listen... I don't know what kind of footing's in the ring, but let me find out. Right, know? totally. And before I knew it, I knew the actual answer. And I think people appreciate the candor in that and it comes off more genuine. And I think that's what helped me become more successful in that genre. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's a huge part of your success, I'm sure, is just the fact that you are able to, I mean, someone is expecting a realtor and knows, you know, maybe about the property and stuff, but to be able to take that a step further and know some of the, you know, riding terminology and the specifics, I think is probably, they found a lot of comfort in that when they were looking for a property like that. That's right. And no, and it was important for me as an equestrian realtor and is to this day to know my lane. If I'm showing a property to an Olympic rider, I'm not going to tell him about the footing. I'm going to yeah. ask, I'm going to let him try it and he can tell me. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. As you are, I mean, obviously this time of year, super busy down in Wellington. Do you find yourself able to still do some riding or are you swamped with work? What does your schedule kind of look like? Yeah, so my riding career has been relatively manic because I'll go in in spurts because you know, in Wellington, it's really, I find a competition of firepower. And when business is slow, I would go out and ride sometimes five days a week. And I was blessed in that I had the ability to do that relatively inexpensively because, you know, my, a couple of my trainer friends be like, Hey, these horses have to be flatted. You know, our clients too hung over to make it to the barn. (laughs) Do you want to come ride? And I'd be like, yeah. yeah, that's great. But I went back to grad school, you know, life happens and, bef- and trainers get busy and I don't want to be in position to them. Sure. So often in the winter, I don't ride as much. And then I try to ride because I know the trainers are doing me a favor that I go in the summer, I travel to horse shows. So sometimes I'll warm up a horse for someone if they don't mind a not great rider <laughs> riding their horse. <laughs> And that's just kind of how it's fallen into place. I don't really have any desire to show. Yeah. Did an under saddle class one time, which is a hilarious story. (laughs) Uh, What happened? How'd it go? (laughs) So I was given a hack winner to ride. Okay. No pressure. No pressure. And I apparently was winning. There was eight people in the class and I picked up the incorrect lead at the very end. I know. And, and all my friends were at the ring. They thought it was hilarious that I was showing. <laughs> and I came in seven of eight. So mm. afterwards, we went and got some lunch. And we're like, oh, man, we're so sorry that that happened. You know, you were doing so well until the end. I was like, seventh is great. 
for, for as bad of a rider as I am, how bad must the person that came in eighth feel? <laughs> like, I'll take the seventh. That's amazing. I love it. I wanted to thank our sponsor today, O3 Animal Health. If you haven't heard about them before, their signature product is Equine Omega Complete. It's a specifically formulated blend that does so much more than simply add weight if needed or produce a shiny hair coat for your horse. These products support healthy cell function in the horse. They cleanse the cell membrane. Every cell in a horse's body is surrounded by fat. Their products provide the healthiest fat possible so that nutrients and waste can get in and out of the cells. O3 Animal Health is used by some of the top horse breeders, trainers, horse owners, vets, and it supplies a complete balance of beneficial fatty acids to provide the perfect fat for proper cell function. If you want to learn more, I had Kathleen Downs, who is a representative over at O3 Animal Health, on the podcast. She was episode 122, if you want to go check it out, or you can visit their website at o3animalhealth.com. And if you want to try out any products, use the code PODCAST for $10 off any product. Thank you so much, O3 Animal Health. All right, let's get back to the episode. You and I have talked about, you know, obviously in Wellington, there is an on-season and off-season. Do you find yourself, are you doing other real estate locations during off-season? Are you just kind of taking a breather during the off-season and staying put? What does that look like for you as far as the off-season? Well, I think humans and horses have a lot of similarities in a lot of different ways. We're, we're pack animals, you know, a lot of psychology. And because we work eight days a week and twice on Sunday in the winter, and that includes not just actually showing horse farms, but it includes going to this charity event, this charity event, mm-hmm. this night class, this dinner, all of that. By the time summer comes around, I'm pretty ready for a break. Just yeah. like you can't show a horse every day and there needs to be some off time. Totally. And I kind of take time off. I do real estate out East on Palm beach Island, but that's also somewhat seasonal market. So what I find is I try to get my traveling in, in Sunday on, in the summer. And then I also like going to the horse shows because a, they're fun. B I get to see my friends and C it's really good for business. I mean, who doesn't want to go to the Hampton classic, hang out at the grand prix, and see friends and go out to nice dinners. So I'm selling the lifestyle in a way. So why not be a part of it? And again, it's kind of a win-win for me. So I try to incorporate that into my decompression and having fun with friends and with the industry. Totally. For someone listening who is interested in equestrian real estate, what kind of advice would you give to them? Because obviously it's a really hot market. How do you set yourself apart? So just being an equestrian realtor in and of itself is a very unique thing, not in the city and not just in the state, country, in the world. It's a very specific niche. Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to earlier, if you're not an expert in it, what's the value in someone hiring you to help them? So my best advice is to become the best expert and have the highest knowledge possible. The networking and all that will come by being a part of it. But like I said, it was really important for me to understand riding, what people are looking for, what people don't want. It's very important to ask a lot of questions. You have to be Mm -hmm. a very curious forever learner in the industry because even though I'm pretty long in the tooth now in the industry, 
there's new technologies. There's new things that are happening with the horse show. There's new things happening in Ocala with the World Equestrian Center. So you always have to be improving your game, sharpening the sword, and providing value to the client by being an expert. Know what's going on with the horse show. Know what's going on with a new kind of footing. Know what Wellington's doing with its codes and how many horses per acre. That's why people hire realtors. And if you just walk into a house and say, here's the kitchen, you're not really providing a lot of value. So that would be my best advice. Yeah, that's awesome. For people who are interested in finding properties through you, how can they get in contact? So the name of my real estate firm is called Bit Realty, kind of like Bitcoin, but Bit Realty. A lot of horse friends thought I did that because of the horse bit, (laughs) (laughs) but I did it because of technology like Fitbit or Bitcoin. It means technology and real estate. And I have 15 agents with me. So I'm on all the social media platforms. It's B-I-T Realty, (laughs) one word. And then you can reach out to me personally. I'm on Instagram as my last name, Beckett. And uh, if you go Google me, you can get my cell phone number and all that. And yeah, I'd be happy to help anyone. Even if it's not in Florida, I can help refer people to different markets because the horse world becomes an international small world. I find Mm -hmm. I can go to a horse show in Ireland, Wellington, Sonoma, and it's a lot of the same people. So even if they want advice or a recommendation for someone to work with in another market, I'm happy to help with that as well. Cool. Speaking of Googling you, I think people will maybe find another little tidbit of information. (laughs) I have to ask, (laughs) because I'm sure there are some Bachelor Nation people listening. Tell me about your experience about being a part of that series. Yeah. So I had a lot of trepidation because I was like, oh man, is it going to hurt my business? No matter how cool of a guy you are, you automatically look like a, you know, a loser sometimes on those shows. <laughs> you never know how they're going to edit you. I was in my early 30s. I was coming out of a relationship. And you know, I have this philosophy. I'm a big bucket list kind of guy. And although it's cliche, I tell this to my friends, and I've said this often. When you're out of your comfort zone, I think you're growing as a person. You regret a lot of things. The only thing you really regret on your deathbed are things that you didn't do, not yeah. things that you did do. And I kind of called myself out. And I was like, man, Ryan, why are you taking yourself so seriously? Like, just go for it. So yeah. I did it. I think I was a little bit more reserved than I probably wanted to be on the first go around. So I did a second time and I did Bachelor in Paradise. I had a lot of fun with that. And like the horse world, you know, it's a self-deprecating experience doing The Bachelor, but like the horse world, I made some of my best friends doing that experience. Yeah. And I learned a lot about myself because it for sure took me out of my comfort zone. And uh, I'm an easy target with my buddies. So it just gives them more fodder to make fun of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. What was your business like after The Bachelorette? Like, I, I know you said you had like maybe hesitations or, or worries, but what did it look like for you after? It, at the very least, it didn't hurt. And at the very best, it certainly helped open up some doors. You know, I don't think a client that's a big CEO of a big company was watching necessarily The Bachelor, although (laughs) you'd be surprised at some of the names that you'd recognize that are big reality TV show fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's more of like, hey, if there's a, you know, someone riding ponies and, you know, they watch The Bachelor and they tell their dad, hey, there's this realtor that is in Wellington and he does whatever. He was on the show for a short period of time. If we're thinking about interviewing three realtors, maybe we get that guy a call. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And 
and it's allowed me to do stuff. I work with Dan and Ronnie's Rescue, who's a, you know, a couple trainers. They're from South Carolina, the Wellington people. I rode my bike across the country with Danny Goldstein, Flying Feathers. Wow. And I actually have her property listed as a, as a little plug in Wellington, if anyone's nice. interested. It's right by the horse show. But we did that for Danny and Ron's Rescue. So that was a fun way to turn in a bucket list item to something that is near and dear to my heart. And Danny and Ronnie's rescue, they do mostly dogs. They do a lot of, I think they do some other animals as well. But doing stuff like The Bachelor actually helps, you know, with a little social media following and help raise a little bit more money and getting a little bit more exposure for the business and things that are important to me. Totally. So fun. I love it. What would you say is an area within this industry that you have found that you have been super passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community maybe just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? So what has struck me is there's a lot of charity events in Wellington because it's a high wealth group and uh, people care a lot. And I think by the time season's over, people's checkbooks are exhausted. And We do a lot for dog rescues, and, and that's really important to me. And most of the people are obviously in the horse sport as part of the reason because they're animal lovers. Like, that's a huge, important thing. And I, and I love that. I think we could be better as a horse sport. I know that in show jumping, the horses are taken care of a lot of times better than people. But, you know, in the thoroughbred industry, you know, there's a ugly underbelly to that. So I would love to see some of my friends and, and I've been talking to some of them about getting a little bit more involved in that part of the sport. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when this horse retires? I mean, as many of these horses that are really well taken care of, unfortunately, there's some that aren't. Right. And uh, I hear some of those stories. So I think that we all can lead a charge to make sure there's a happy retirement. There's certain, I think USEP does a pretty good job at that, but mm-hmm. that's something I'm really passionate about that I would love to see to be developed even more. Yeah. And I think I've said this before on the podcast, but and talked with other guests about it, that the fact that when you go to purchase a horse, there's just, there should be this expectation that you are purchasing it not only for the amount of time that you find it useful for competition or, or whatever purpose that you purchase the animal, but that it is taken care of for the rest of its life. So having a plan in place and having that responsibility in place that, you know what, I might, it might only uh, work for me in a, you know, a perfect scenario or at a perfect level for X amount of years, but I'll have a plan for those following years until the end of its life. And I feel like sometimes people don't think that all the way through that part of the horse's life. 110%. And coming from a guy that didn't grow up in horses, you know, I see one of my favorite hashtags is two beating hearts. Hmm. And I think that that's really important for people to realize. And I think most people in my experience in the sport have that perspective, but I unfortunately have been made aware of some people that look at horses like machines, quite Mm -hmm. literally. And uh, I find that that has affects the durability of a horse, uh, the psychology of the horse. And when horses are worked to make them tired, rather than just drugged to make them quiet, you know, their longevity is better, they're healthier. And it goes back to common sense. And I, I think that if we could have more of the mentality where, like you said, it's not just a catch ride, you know, when you, when you Mm -hmm. own a horse and you're buying it, you know, you have to have a long-term plan. And if you're not going to give it a long-term home to retire then make sure that there's a plan in a place that can be afforded, there's, there's a plan for the animal because it really is two beating hearts at the end of the day. 
Right. Totally. And I think sometimes, I mean, it's easy for, easier said than done sometimes because a lot, a lot of it, there are scenarios. I mean, obviously ones that you alluded to where this does not come into play, but for the most part, it does seem like equestrians tend to be, you know, fellow animal lovers and do have horses best interests. But I think also the, the finances of continuing to care for a horse like once it's been retired and, you know, end of life scenario is also difficult. I mean, not everyone who is in the community has a, you know, like 500 acres of land for all of their retirement horses to go to. So that's another aspect too, that can be challenging for sure. Totally. And I, and I tell my friends that aren't in the horse world that Wellington, I liken it to the Manhattan of horses because you go to college, you could buy a Bud Light for a dollar. You go to New York City, that same Bud Light is nine dollars. So mm-hmm. when you come to Wellington, stabling, house to lease, a feed, farrier, everything is just exponentially more expensive. Right. So I'm totally sensitive to that and and I get it. But you know, it's like me buying a plane and not being able to afford the gas. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, exactly. I think it, it, and a plane's just literally a machine. So I think there's a balance to be struck and you know. There's plenty of money in the sport, so maybe some foundations can be formed mm-hmm. and uh, things like that to, you know, because it's 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 a living, breathing animal. So uh, something where we don't just you and again, I want to make it clear that I think this is the minority of it. But I, mm-hmm. I would in a perfect blue sky scenario, you'd like a hundred percent of the horses to be treated great at the end of life. <laughs> totally. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And I think the more we talk about it, I think the industry has already started to improve the idea of having more resources available for people to find great quality places for, um, if they are not able to continue, you know, housing their horse end of life, that there are amazing situations and amazing nonprofits and, and even privately owned places where horses can spend the rest of their days. So yeah, I thank you so much for bringing that up. I think it's definitely a great topic. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Ryan, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Super fun topic. And I wish you all the best as we finish out another busy season in Wellington. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.